Welcome to VCast, where church and culture come together. My name is Jacob, and don't forget to follow and subscribe to this podcast to stay updated on new episodes. This month, we'll be talking about missions. Missions is very important to God, so much so that he sent his son Jesus to be a missionary for us. And we know Jesus wants us to carry on his mission. But how do we accomplish that mission? Let's dive into his word and find out. Okay, so the last time we were um, talking in our last episode, we were talking about this sort of mysterious figure that had uh, appeared <laughs> that we see a lot in the Old Testament known as the angel of Yahweh or angel of the Lord. Um, and this figure is, it's its a very mysterious one. It's very curious. You're very like, you're wondering who it is, right. obviously, especially if you lived during that time because you would have had these scriptures speaking of this person and not knowing who it was right um so that's that's old testament but new testament we see someone sort of appear mm-hmm. someone comes into the to, into the world and they start to fulfill these prophecies spoken of this person right right this person starts to come in and um this mysterious figure prophesied about isaiah jeremiah mm-hmm. ezekiel Throughout the entire Old Testament, people are speaking of this person. Now this person comes. Right. And um, I believe that it was like, what, thousand, like 400 years between. God had done like almost nothing for 400 years. No prophets. No. No. Yeah. Nothing. No. Nothing from God. Nothing. Complete silence. 400 years. From God. And then boom. Right. Here comes this person. And um, I don't know if you kind of want to add into a little bit of that of who this mysterious figure right represents or so then yeah so there's this person in the old testament this angel of the lord who's coming and doing all these crazy things this interdimensional messenger who just keeps coming back from heaven to earth heaven to earth heaven to earth um <clears throat> and the person who claims that is 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 jesus himself mm-hmm. and so I, I think the way many of the many theologians refer to it as a as a uh, they have two words for it a christophany and a theophany um this is a visible manifestation of christ in the old testament of god in the old testament and so um seeing jesus now he's obviously not incarnate so he's not in flesh but rather in a heavenly form and he's coming down and he's interacting with people we talked about how he interacted with moses he interacted with and shadrach meshach and abednego jacob joshua there's tons of them in the old testament um but jesus is claiming that he is that figure that had come into history and is now here in the flesh um and you know it's crazy too um, how you said that he wasn't incarnate, but he had like this heavenly form, right. like this divine form, because the second people saw him, they were like blown away. That normally doesn't happen with Jesus, though, in the New Testament. When when people see him, they're like, oh, my gosh, right. you look amazing. Let me worship you. In fact, Hebrew says that being humble, he sort of took on he, he did not count a, he did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped right not saying that he wasn't divine or equal with god but in a humble way yeah was born into the world he was poor mm-hmm. right so this is the appearance that he has isn't the same appearance that he had in the old testament right but it's the same person it's right. jesus mm-hmm. and and he is a messenger of god here to speak on behalf of his father to accomplish the will of his father i think you can actually say with complete confidence jesus is the greatest missionary that ever existed yes um because we're talking missions we're talking um mm-hmm. missions through community and we're looking at jesus and saying who's traveled the furthest distance because that's what you think of when you think of missionaries you're thinking of somebody who goes from neighborhood Mm -hmm. to neighborhood city to city state to state or nation to nation yeah across to the the the, you know like um the nations across the other side Mm -hmm. yeah and so jesus crosses over crosses dimensions Mm -hmm. to bring the message of reconciliation when i when i was a kid i always used to think like heaven was like in space or something right so it's Mm -hmm. like uh, it's just like up there. If you go high up enough, you'll reach it. But yeah, sky, space, heaven. And that's the picture that we paint. Mm-hmm. But we understand that as Christians, and it's just like theologically correct that um, that heaven is not, you don't just go straight up and you'll get there. It's yeah. somewhere else, completely outside of this realm that we live in. Mm-hmm. So that distance 
is far more extreme because space, as far as we know, is something that's like never ending. It's infinite yep. space. So where's heaven in all of that? Right. It's not there. It's outside of creation. So he literally had to open up like a, a portal. Cross almost. dimensional. <laughs> Facts like Doctor Strange just opened something up and like walk through it. Portal three, Jesus edition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so Jesus, yeah. The, so Jesus is this interdimensional being that 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 crosses over into human existence, but not just crosses over, but rather uh, takes on human flesh. He becomes one of us um and um and he goes about establishing community right like jesus again it, you would think that being god being king of kings and lord of lords with a name that is so high and lifted up that at the name of jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father um with a name so glorious, you would think he would just come amongst his creation, just float down and say, worship me. But instead, he comes humbly, like you were just saying, um, that he did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but empties himself, taking on the form of, um, of, of, of human beings. And he comes into amongst the people, just as God used to do in the garden. Now Jesus is doing, coming in human mm -hmm. flesh and dwelling amongst his own creation because the bible says that all things that were created were created through him and for him um and so jesus is just walking amongst his creation and he loved community yeah and um when it comes to his like entrance into the world even i i think it says it in isaiah where he was hidden and the world knew him not right mm. um he comes and he enters into the world he's born in a manger he has one of the most common names at the time yeshua which also can be translated to Joshua, yeah, but yeah, also Joshua, Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when we hear Yeshua, everyone's like, oh, his name is just Joshua, right? Mm -hmm. He was hidden from the world. And it wasn't until his time came where he could. And that's so crazy to me, the fact that he came into the world and he hid until his time had come. And right. he was just hiding, not like like he was afraid, but that his, his hour hadn't come to really yeah. start preaching this message. But yeah, no, he comes in, he starts... Um, his ministry with community yeah. yeah he starts his ministry um and um he starts really in a, like a small setting his community wasn't big jesus didn't have a mega church yeah he did and 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 i will say this there's nothing wrong with absolutely a mega church i don't think there's anything wrong with mega churches i think if anything it shows they're doing something right they have a lot of attendance um you know some people don't like them some people do um but one of the things i know to be true about mega churches one of the things that they suffer with is the um, is with, a, you know, at times having uh, a lack of community. That's why they have to have programs to make sure that there are community groups within those large churches so that people feel like their needs are being met. And that because with amongst to be one of 10,000 people or 7,000 people in a church, well, not after COVID, but um, it's it can be a bit jarring. It could be a bit feel like you're a bit lost, like you don't really know anybody. But Jesus did community instead of coming in and grabbing, getting a mega church. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Not that church existed, but he walked with 12 individuals, handpicked them, right, for three years. And I think that's really cool that Jesus chose the small group route, right? Um, and um, we see that he enjoyed community. He liked being with people so much so that he didn't just go to the synagogues. As a matter of fact, we even see kind of a shift from his teaching in the synagogues to a shift in home ministry that he would preach in the synagogues. And even Paul did this. Paul would go out and minister in the synagogues and to a point where he was just like, you know what, y'all don't listen. I'm going to go to the Greeks and I'm just going to preach the gospel to people. And so Jesus starts to do this and we see the evidence of this. And in, in actually, the one thing that I love about this is that it's all in the book of Luke. Um, Luke 4, he goes to Peter's home and he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Mm -hmm. You remember that story? Yeah. She was sick and he goes over there and this is Jesus going into somebody's home to do a miracle, but it's a small group setting, you know, why? Because in small, when you work in small groups, there's more intimacy, there's more relationship, there's more ability for us to kind of talk and communicate and really open up one another um, in, in those moments. Um, but there's another, there's tons of examples of that. Yeah, we have uh, Luke Fies, the uh, Luke Fies, Luke Five, Luke the Five, par <laughs> the paralyzed man healed. Um, oh, the one um, with that the, they lowered through the roof, and that was in a home as well. He was, mm -hmm. I think, he was actually preaching in the house, 
right? And they had a whole crowd, and yeah, the crowd was so big came. that you couldn't go through the front door. So they mm-hmm. said, "We have to get this man in from right. the roof." Um, the woman who washes his feet in Luke seven, right. um, in a home as well. That was another that happened incident. in somebody's home. He was visiting somebody, mm-hmm. and then she happens to run in and and start crying at his feet. Um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Luke ten, as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's true. That's the one with that one. um where Martha gets upset because Mary's just sitting at the feet of Jesus and she's like, yo, tell her to clean something. <laughs> yes, I, I remember that one. Um, I heard that one as a little kid. I had it like in my little action Bible and mm-hmm. there was like a little comic of it. I remember yeah, that one. That was in their house. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Luke 19, we have Zacchaeus, which is a right. really small group. <laughs> small. That's that's mean. Or Zacchaeus. Yeah, small in stature. He was is actually it? a very short man, yeah. Zacchaeus. But Luke 19, yeah, Luke 19. So like, all throughout the book of Luke, we see this Jesus going to people's homes to do ministry Mm -hmm. because I think that's a great place to do it. Now, of course, obviously this is not to say that home is the only place for ministry, nor is it to say that it's the best place for ministry. I think it's a great place for ministry. Um, It's a place that happens to be very effective in creating community um, because there's some people that, you know, honestly, it's like on a Sunday service, you can go and listen to a preaching, which will be very inspirational and really impact your heart in such a way that you leave changed and living different. But in community, you're able to ask questions in community groups, you're able to reason with the word of God and with people. You're able to open up and talk about your own life experiences and and kind of, you know, work out maybe some of the questions that you have uh, for those particular, you know, situations that may, maybe you've been in um, to get advice um, on how to be a better husband, wife, mother, father, right? Um groups are great and jesus knew this that's why he do he did them right mm-hmm. um but that wasn't it i mean he also it wasn't just like home groups jesus did a lot of like personal visits mm-hmm. right and, and that's something that can really be effective when you have small groups yeah it opens that up for a more individual you know because if you're like in a mega church again nothing wrong with mega churches but if you're in a mega church it's not like you can the pastor by himself can just go up and have an individual connection with each and every single person there, which is why they make those community groups and leaders that take sections of those big churches Correct. and make these community groups because mm-hmm. that should be the intention. It's a personal level. Right? right. And so, yeah, so Jesus, you know, community groups are great places to get the individual attention that you may need, not attention in the sense of like, I'm an attention seeker. I just want people to pay attention to me, but like care. You know, mm-hmm. like I need care and I need somebody to sit down and have a conversation with me. And Jesus was the needs. type of person to do that. Yeah. Jesus loved people. Um, we see that in John 4, Samaritan woman at the well, right? That story. Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman, um, the, Syri- the Syrophoenician woman, right? John 3, Nicodemus, they, they meet individually, even though Nicodemus came at night because he was kind of ashamed to, to be seen uh, out in the open with Jesus. Um, Luke 5, uh, there's the healing of the leper. But what does Jesus say? Don't tell anybody. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about this. Um, the deaf uh, mute man um, that Jesus puts his fingers in his ears uh, and then he grabs his tongue and he spits and he says "Ephatha," like be like be open, and um, then the guy begins to just speak and and he can hear again. Um, Jesus heals him. That was he. But the thing is that in that story it says that he saw the deaf. Uh, the deaf man who also had a speech impediment and he grabs this man and it says that he separates him from the crowds and takes him off to the side to heal him, which is the individual attention that we see that Jesus gives to people. That's only possible in small group settings, right? The healing of the dead girl, right? Um, there was the girl who died and passed away. Um, the reason why is because she was really sick, but then Jesus was like, okay, I'm on my way to go heal her. And then the woman with the issue of blood grabs his robe then you have that interaction and jesus stops everything he's doing to interact and despite the crowd he says who touched, who touched me? me he's yeah, looking for one person <laughs> yeah he's like everyone is touching you he's like no oh, yeah, somebody yeah. Mm-hmm. reached out to the me individual and grabbed me, an individual mm-hmm. so amidst this entire crowd jesus is looking for one person mm-hmm. and then I, I think the centurion happens as well right after that because I, rem- I i think i remember that but i think if i'm not mistaken that jesus there's a girl who's dying Jesus, we need you to heal her. On my way. Woman with the issue of blood, 
you've been healed, blah, blah, blah. I think the centurion even happens at this time where the centurion says, my servant is not well. I need you to heal him, but you don't need to come to my house. He's, you know, like, I, I know you're, a, I'm a man of authority and I know you're a man of authority. Just say the word and it's done. And then he heals that so that when, after all this happens, they come up to Jesus. They're like, oh, don't bother. She died. Like, don't even bother going over there. But Jesus still goes over there. And basically what was people probably worried, praying, wondering, is this girl going to get any better? She ends up dying. And then Jesus goes, no, she's asleep. Don't worry about it. And then everybody starts laughing at him like, this guy's ridiculous, Jesus. That's so offensive. Right? Like we, she literally died and it's like, nah, she's just taking a nap. It's like, wow, like that is so insensitive. And Jesus is like, no, you're insensitive. Get out. He literally kicks everybody he out, kicks them out. That's of family the house. too, probably mm-hmm. family. He's like, hey, get out of yeah, here. Yeah, and right. I think he only takes maybe like one or two people goes in to the room. I think they were disciples her. though. Yeah, or no, it was like Either maybe disciples the disciples or, his or the, parents. the parents. I think it might have been. I the think parents. he brought in like Peter or something yeah. to, to see it, and, and then, then he heals this girl. Someone had to write about it. Resurrects her from the dead, dude. That's individual attention. He's like, I'm going to take the crowds out, and I'm I I, I want to talk to you. I want to heal you. I love that about Jesus. And, and and honestly, he, he preferred that, right? Because Jesus Jesus did not like crowds. He Every time there was a crowd, they actually tried to kill him. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So like the crowds always, when there's a big crowd, there's always an ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. But when you have a smaller group, it's easier to get everybody in one spirit, mm-hmm. right? But everybody in a crowd, it can be kind of difficult. Everybody's there for different reasons. But um, there was a there's actually a story in John two. Uh, verse 23 it starts where um, the Passover feast is happening and you know Jesus is doing signs and miracles and a lot of people are starting to believe Um, but the Bible says in verse 24 that Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man and we see that God knows the intentions of our heart. Jesus knew the intentions of every person's heart. And oftentimes he would not entrust himself to the crowds because he's like, I know that everybody has ulterior motives. When he went to one city, he did a miracle and they tried to force him to be king. They tried to take him and make him king or try. They were trying to force him to be like the the leader of like an assassination group to try to coup, do a coup. Like this is what they wanted Jesus for. And Jesus every time happens to slip away. Um. What else is there? We have the um, another one that we see is the feeding of the 5,000, um, which is John chapter 6, right. 25 through 27. Um, and he sees that this crowd, you know, he's following him. Um, well, he fed them. He fed them. And then, and then he went to the because in between the story is the walking on water. Yeah, walking on water. So he's making his way. He tells the disciples, go ahead. Yeah. I'm going to stay over here. And then he meets them and then they go to the other side and then the crowd comes again, right? Yeah, they, the they came crowd. looking for Jesus and they found him on the other side of the uh-huh. water. And um, this is what it says, John, uh, 26 through, John 6, 25 through 27. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you for on him. God, the father has set his seal. So you even see that God again knows the intent and Jesus. Right. Yeah. Jesus. I was like, same. same yeah. Same thing. I, I always do that. I'm like, God, I mean, Jesus, same thing. Yeah. But um, Jesus, he he knows the intention of this crowd again. Right. And they're like, and why? it's so funny because they're like, Rabbi, when did you come here? Like, they're surprised that they met him there. Yeah, yeah. Like, they didn't know he was going to be there. Right. And he was like, I know why you're here. Right. Like, I, I know that this isn't just a coincidence. Right. Oh, that Jesus. you guys. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jesus. Why did you him come by here? calling him Rabbi. And yeah. They're just like, oh, did you Rabbi, how did you get over? We didn't know like, you were here. And he's like, he's like, you know what the crazy thing is? You're 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 pursuing me not because you love me, not for the right reasons, not because of signs and miracles. You're just you're just hungry again. You're coming to me because you just want more fish and more loaves. Um, which that's another reason why he didn't trust them. Again, he knows the hearts of people and he goes, your intentions are not correct. You're literally seeking me because of what I can give you. Right. Um, and that's why Jesus just, 
and there's nothing wrong with big crowds. And again, there's nothing wrong with having a large congregation of people. I think that's important. Jesus went to the synagogues and he preached and we had, they had large crowd things, which I think are vitally important to a Christian's life. But Jesus also knew that not everybody is there always for mm-hmm. the right reasons. Um, which we should know as Christians, like when we go to church that not everybody that goes to church is there for the right reasons. And don't let that, don't look at a church and be like, man, this church, you know, like they, their members are are hypocrites. And it's like, oh, for, for the actions of one person who came for the wrong reasons, you can't dismiss an entire congregation for something like that. It's silly. And so um, anyway, but Jesus loved community, man. He really did. And he, he tried to shy away from the large crowds, although he did preached to them. He fed the 5,000. He did another feeding of the 4,000, which was a completely separate uh, miracle. Um, He did a lot of crowd ministry, which was great, but you can see the love and compassion of Jesus really in the small group uh, settings uh, that he ended up I think that's that's how he, besides like the feeding of the 5,000, most of his miracles, I feel, were really with a small group of people. The majority of them. You know, he Mm -hmm. feeds the 5,000, so they were all there for that. Um, it's kind of secretive. Yeah, he, he's, he's very like, secretive with his life. The yeah. um, the his first miracle in the wedding in Cana, right? Gets them all out his of mom's the room. Like, Yo, like, hey. they ran out of wine. What's that have to do with me? My time has not yet come. Exactly. <laughs> the whisper. Um, and he he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, don't relax. <laughs> you know, like don't don't give me up yet. Yeah. And then what does he do? He goes off to the side. He grabs one servant and says, "Yo, can fill these vases with water." All right, cool. He's like, "This is water." All right. Take it back to the attendant. You made me fill all these things up and you're telling me to take it to the attendant? He's like, yeah, just take it to the attendant. You, come here. Yeah, you, the guy who just brought these vases. Why did you save the best wine for the end? You're supposed to serve this first. Do you not know how a wedding goes? And they were just like, I literally just handed them a vase of water. And they just drank yeah, wine. That, that had to be crazy to see. Crazy. But even then, gee, he didn't do that publicly. Mm-hmm. He did it very privately. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he knew people were going to be coming for his life and he was trying to reach as many people as he could with the years that he had. Yeah, and then once that three-year mark came. It wasn't only that people were trying to kill him, big yeah. crowds. They were also trying to worship him and he knew yeah. that he couldn't let that happen. That's true. Because if they worshipped him, then he wouldn't have ended up on the cross. And if they had killed him before the cross, then... He had to die at a very specific time. He had to die in a very specific way according to prophecy and so his the details of what he came to accomplish prophetically speaking very very important that he matched up to all the details mm-hmm. even to the uh, you know not a bone in his bro- bro- not a bone in his body was broken just like the passover lamb you weren't to break any of the bones in the body and that that didn't happen to him um because even that's what they were going to do wow um they were yeah. going to break the his kneecaps when he was on the cross they were going to break his kneecaps so that he would hang and and asphyxiate and die. Um, but right when they were, they broke the the legs of the other men to do like an instant kill. And when they came to Jesus, they didn't do it to Jesus because they said, he's already dead. That wasn't by chance. That was prophetic. Wow. Yeah. And then they stab him in the side. And how many prophecies were there of Jesus? Like a, like a oh, bunch. I, he fulfilled yeah. every, yeah, every single, single one, of one of them. And and that's what the book of Matthew is all about. That's why as it is written, as it is written, as it is written. Like Matthew should have just been written, should have been called as it is written. <laughs> because it's just Old Testament scriptures. But anyways. Um, but yeah, that's that's the goal here is that Jesus came to... Jesus came to fulfill that prophecy, but he also came to be amongst his people, to seek communi- community with people. Um, and Jesus did that. Mm-hmm. Right. Great. Amazing missionary. Right. The best. Because that's what missionaries do. Right. When they, especially missionaries who go overseas, it's not I'm just going to go publicly and declare the gospel. Sometimes I can't. Yeah. Um. I I um. I was just thinking about it when we were um, talking for the beginning part about, you know, individuals that God desires community, but he also prefers the smaller groups. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you're on a mission, when you're going on missions, whether it be to foreign countries and, and places like that, your intention isn't to go over there and save thousands. But not, I mean, that should be your intention. That's a really good goal. Oh, um, yeah, of course. But you, always aim you don't high. expect that to be the first amount of people that you save. What you expect is to plant a seed and then that one seed becomes a thousand. Mm, right. Yeah, yeah. So you, we're going to talk about that. too. Yeah. You build that small community, you build it up a little bit mm-hmm. with a couple people that are over there. Then you leave and now they're in charge. Right. And then exactly. they continue to to spread. So 
Yeah. And so the whole point of that is he seeks out community with people. Well, what does he do when he's in community? He's communicating the need for reconciliation, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, uh, his desire wasn't just community. It was to get get an opportunity to convey that message of reconciliation. Um, even in the last scripture we just read, uh, John 6, where he was talking to the people who were um, who were asking him, uh, hey, Jesus, we didn't know you were here, Rabbi. And it was like, you only wanted me because you ate the, the bread and you want more to eat. Um, if you keep reading past that, there's something that he says that really was like, oh my gosh, this was eye-opening for me. Um, so it says this in uh, verse 35, John 6, 35, it says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Right? There's the key word right there that I should lose nothing, right? That's that's what Jesus came for. He wants to reconcile people to God and he will not lose any that have been given to him. The Father has given him people to win and he will not lose a single one. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and he will raise him up on the last day. You see all the continuity here, how that it says that the the that everyone who looks on the sun and believes should have eternal life. That's God's desire. Remember we talked about the very first podcast. We said God's desire is that all would, that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. Jesus is coming in just echoing those exact same words. Yeah. And when it comes to that, that message of reconciliation, we even see it in Mark mm -hmm. when Jesus begins his ministry. What is the very first thing that he says? He says, repent for the kingdom right. of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. So the very first thing that Jesus comes to say when his ministry starts is repentance, reconciliation, right. turning away right. from your sins and coming right. to God and rebuilding that community. Right. Because there's this, it has to be reconciled because again, we're sheep and what do sheep do? They get lost. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, there was a, there was a, a pastor who was a preacher who said that he said, um, it's like, um, what did you contribute to your salvation? He's like, oh, I'm I'm really good at getting lost. But Jesus is really good at finding people. And, um, you know, I, I did an amazing job getting lost. And then Jesus found me. Because when it comes to salvation, it's not in our hands. We, we are not saved by anything we do. For it is not by works of the flesh that men will be justified, right? The, the idea is that it's not... Um, it's not as a result of work so that no man may boast. Salvation is the free gift of God. So we're lost and Jesus comes to find us. Yeah. This is the message of reconciliation. You're lost, but here I am coming for you to reconcile you and bring you back to the Father. So check this out. Um, I see, where's what's the best place <laughs> to find this, this whole motif theme here? It's Luke 15, right? Luke 15 is so great because there's three parables and I always call them the lost parables because every single one of these parables is about something lost that gets found and then there's a huge celebration over finding it. And it's a mirror image of what happens in heaven when one sinner repents and turns back to God, right? So the first one we have lost sheep, right? Um, do you want to read that one? Yeah. Um, lost sheep is the first one of the, the lost parables. It's yeah. the very first verse. Um, and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomed sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. Mm. That's that again, I, I think we're seeing like a, a theme here. Mm -hmm. It's that personal, that, that one with the one, the fact that yeah. heaven rejoices with one person 
being saved. Mm-hmm. So so you're seeing this and within building wanting to rebuild community, yeah. God is seeking out individuals. Right. To rebuild this um relationship again. And it's like what what th- these are the aha moments that you mm-hmm. get when you start to realize this is the connection that we're making. We're like, "Oh, yeah. wow." But really yeah. And, and um you'll see that that's the thing that plays out in these lost parables. Mm-hmm. It's the we find it and we celebrate. Found what is lost. Yeah, a, a heaven erupts. There is a Super Bowl halftime show in heaven every time a sinner repents and turns to God. Um, and and this is the message that Jesus is bringing. He's like, hey, listen, what you know why he has to emphasize that though? Because when you're lost, you know that something. When you do something wrong and you feel that overwhelming sense of guilt, you already know what's coming. A beating <laughs> you know um if you do something wrong at work there's a strong possibility you're gonna get fired right like there's always a repercussion for a wrong done and when you wrong someone you know it's it, man i really want to talk to this person about what i did i want to apologize and um and one of the things that you can do is to say man i know that this person probably mad at me but i have to apologize and then you suck it up, you go talk to the person, then what happens? They end up going, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. And you're like, oh, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But the feeling of guilt that overcomes you in that moment. So why is it that it's so important at the end of the story they say all of heaven celebrates? Because that is awaits. that's what awaits a person who has been doing wrong their whole life. There's a celebration for you, not condemnation. Celebration mm-hmm. over condemnation. I'm going to write that down too. Yo. So it, go ahead. <laughs> It's celebration, not condemnation. That's what awaits the person who repents. Yeah. And um, again, yeah, uh, Lost Coin. You know, we go into that one. It's the same. It's it, it's almost the same story, really, um, as the 99 sheep. It's Let's say that there's a woman who has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, so again, same thing being um, told to the crowd again. Hey, yeah. you find it and there's literally in the presence of the angels, there's a party going on. And I really like the lost son, the the, the prodigal son. Um, it's really long. It's really it's one of those really long ones where you right. could literally break down each section of it because it's yeah. so good. For the sake of time, though, yeah, I think a paraphrase. So, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll paraphrase. Yeah, it. you can go ahead the, and do it. So, Jesus is speaking, and he said that there was a man who had two sons, right? Um, and I, I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things I like about the story is that we always look at the the lost one and not the one who stayed, mm-hmm. because he's very important. But we're not going to focus on that today. But um, the, there's a son. And the son basically goes to the dad and says, hey, I want my inheritance. And inheritance is what? Um, the stuff that you get after they die. Right. It's, it's, it's the your, share the of share, yeah. your father's belongings that you will receive upon his death. Mm-hmm. His dad is not dead. What does that communicate? I want you dead so I can have my stuff. I just want my stuff. I could care yeah. less if you're still alive. I just wish you were dead so I could already have my estate. Can I just get it now? Right. That's, oh my gosh, so insulting to the father. Um, and so, you know what the father does? Gives it. Even though it would ruin him. We talked about this in the in the last podcast, in, in, in episode four, which I know they were kind of out of order, but in episode four, we talked about how the wrath of God is revealed when God gives you what you want and lets you mess your life up. Because what happens after <laughs> he gives it to him? Yeah. Pro- he becomes the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of people think that when you say prodigal son, it means, oh, the son who returned. Prodigal means wasteful. The wasteful son. That's the name of this of this um, story. It's the wasteful son. This guy goes out, wastes all of his money on who knows what. Um, the, the when he comes back, the brother 
says that he engaged with prostitutes. I don't know if he knew that for a fact or if he was just insinuating that. Um, but but who knows what he did with all of that money? But he wastes it. He ends up so poor and dissolute that he hires himself out as a slave to um, pigs herdsmen's. And those uh, those pig herdsmen treat him like garbage. Like they literally are like, you have no value to us. But our pigs do. So make sure that they get the food. Can I have something to eat? No. So he would literally eat the leftovers, um, the pods that the pigs would eat, um, which pigs ate just whatever scraps were left over. And I'm just thinking of like, you know, corn on the cob, you know, the cob (laughs) that's left over (laughs) with no corn left on it. Probably eating that. Um, That's kind of the idea. Um, But this guy was in such a bad place. And he thought to himself, you know what, I'm just going to go back to my dad and I'm going to tell him I'm not even worthy to be called a son. Can I just be a servant? He's like, because even my dad's servants eat better than I'm eating right now. So let me just become a slave to my father. And the Bible says that, or Jesus said, when he got back to the place, the father runs out at him full force. And you picture that scene. It's like, I'm coming home. I'm super ashamed of myself. And you just see the father running. His, bro, you're about to get a cocotazo, bro. That guy was about <laughs> to get a... a a Superman punch. He was about to get smacked into 2025. Mm-hmm. And instead of a smack, rather he receives an embrace, an embrace, yeah. and kisses all over his face. And the other thing that I I would like to point out, I think it also says that um that he would wait for him, mm-hmm. that he would stand outside his um like his porch. Right. Unquote. I don't know because the father porches, saw him coming. Yeah. So he would. He so, which would mean that every single day he would stand out there waiting for Looking. him to come back. Mm-hmm. Because the fact that on his, his way back, ooh, on his way back he was already standing out there. So he probably stood out there every day waiting for his and son to return. He doesn't take joy in the fact that his son is living a horrible life, mm-hmm. and instead of rubbing his face in it and saying "I told you so," he's outside on his porch awaiting the day that his son returns because he sees his son while he's a long way off and comes running out, which is super shameful for a, a, a man to do. Um, uh, I believe they had to cover like their ankles and they had to cover their legs with these long robes because it was shameful for men to show their their legs off and things like that. And that the that the father pulls his hikes up his dress skirt thing, whatever that is, um, and just runs full force to go embrace his son. That image is the image of the father awaiting his son to come home, right? So if you're listening to this podcast and maybe you feel like you're far, far off from God, like God's not angry at you, he's He's desperately desiring to forgive your sins. It's only up to you if you'll repent and turn from that and come to him. God wants to be reconciled. Jesus' explanations here show reconciliation is possible with the father. It is possible. Um, and it's not necessary that you do anything but humbly come home and then the father will run out to embrace you. You know what's crazy about that too? Um, that's very uh, that 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 story matches up with um, the second coming of Jesus when um, when uh, Jesus, you know like in the end, it says that we're going to rise and God is going to take the dead and then he's going to take the living. Oh and like meet up and up we're going to meet up and where are we meeting him? Not in heaven. Where? In the sky. In the sky. In the clouds. Because Jesus has already come halfway to meet us there because he's so anxious to be with us. Like I that's the way I see it. <laughs> is that if we don't meet we don't meet Jesus in heaven. Jesus is already in the sky waiting to greet us as we're resurrecting on that last day, which I think is beautiful. Um but again, what is the common denominator here though? Um and it's the thing that's mentioned in the story is that th- there was a moment of repentance. And um, that's another thing that we can even touch back to our our last series where um, I forgot in which episode that it was. You'll just have to go through all of them and find them. <laughs> but um, we talked about we brought up a verse where it says, um, did you not know that? on his kindness or from his kindness, it was meant to lead you to repentance. And that's what we see right here, Mm -hmm. that the love of this father, even though that the son had turned away from him, led this son to repentance. It wasn't the, the, the punishment that led him to repentance, but the loving embrace, despite what he had done, that turned him Mm -hmm. to repentance. Right. So, yeah, so that's, that's the message that, that we're, we're talking about. And so what is repentance? That's what we have to discuss. We have to talk about it because in order for us to to be on mission like Jesus was, we have to know what Jesus preached 
and we have to know what Jesus, what Jesus requires. What does God require of me in order? It's just repentance. Now, um, there's two words uh, for repentance in Greek. The word is metanoia, um, and it literally means a change in 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 mind. Right, because you're combining the word meta and gnosis, um, and so it's it's a change in in the way that I think. Um, and then the Old Testament um, was uh, where was it? Oh, shub. The word is shub, um, and it's I don't even know if I'm saying that correctly. Shub? I just uh, shub. How do you spell shub it? Up. Like if you were S- to... transliterated, it's S H O O B. S H O O B. Shub. Yeah, so so Shub, um, and again, whether or not I'm saying it correctly, I'll leave it up to the biblical scholars who really understand the the, the Hebrew language. Um, but regardless, the word means to turn in the opposite direction. It's literally a U-turn, like U-turn, <laughs> and that's what the that's what repentance is. We see an Old Testament example in Ezekiel fourteen six. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Shub or repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all of the abominations. You see how every time he mentions the word repentance, it's turn, 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 right? So two things need to change when we talk about repentance. It's a change in mind and a change in direction. Mm -hmm. And so Old Testament, change in direction. New Testament, change in mind, change in the way that you think. And None of us can actually do that. Yeah. So I, I was really waiting to, to speak on that because I feel like a lot of times, um, and this might be a, a disagreement among some people, because um, I've heard people talk about it before, in order to gain salvation, do you need to repent or is repentance what comes after salvation? Ah. And, you know, that that's the thing that I'm, I think about. Repentance isn't what you do first. I don't think so. Um, at, at least I don't believe so. Right. Because, again, it says, did you not know that God's love was meant to lead you to repentance? So first, that's something you need to experience. Right. God's love. That love of God. And that love of God will cause you to change. So um, for my belief, I'm not trying to change anybody's theology. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to, you know, speak for every single person. Mm-hmm. But um, from my understanding that the message of repentance means that you're heading in a wrong direction and you can only realize that you're heading in the wrong direction unless you know what the right direction is because apart from god you'll never know what that right direction is so you need him to give you direction but um what were you gonna say because i know you're gonna say something um no i i I mean i i agree and i would say that that romans romans 12 that says um that um oh man well how does it start I remember too, because I, I, this always happens to me, and I'm like, yo, if I remember the first word, I can remember the rest of the scripture. But I forget how it starts. Um, but it says basically, um, oh, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing Ooh. of your mind, right? Mm-hmm. It, and then it says that, that that particular thing is actually the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a transforming thing. Um, the Bible says... That it, it's, I would say it's not, it's not a, um, it's really a posture. It's a daily practice. Mm-hmm. It's a, you have to always be turning away from sin. Yeah. You know, this becomes a daily practice in the Christian's life. There is an initial turning away to, to look at your life and say, this is sin and this has caused me. I need to change the way I think about this. Um, that happened to me when I was younger. My, this is like my testimony of it. Um, I remember uh, my grandma went to New York. She bought an Entenmann's cake from the actual like Entenmann's factory, which um, was really, really good. It was like a double fudge chocolate cake. I ate the whole thing in one sitting and I got violently ill. Um, I was throwing up. I woke up that night, threw up. I've heard um, you tell this And story, yeah. bro, I, I just, I threw up for 24 hours, bro. Just every five minutes or or or, or less. I was going to the toilet to throw up, man. I'm surprised I didn't die. But I did die that day. I died to cake. Like, I hate cake. To this day, like, uh, somebody will give me a piece of cake, and I'll be like, mmm, it's so good, because I don't want to offend them, but I hate cake. Mm-hmm. And and the reason why is because that day, the Jeremy who liked cake died, and the new Jeremy has risen. That's really what repentance looks like. It's 
what used to please me now nauseates me. And so I look to the sin in my life and I go, this has brought me in the wrong direction. This has caused me to think in the wrong way. God, I need you to transform my mind. And then God changes you. Mm-hmm. And then that's the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit where he sanctifies you and makes you new. So yeah, in a sense, it's not really like an act that you can do. Mm-hmm. It's And it's not just a single moment. It is a way of living. Repentance yeah. is a way of living. And, and that's another thing. Um, just to um, last point, really, so that we don't go like too far off topic. But right. I feel like it's important that the I, I feel like in the church, we don't teach a lot about um progression that it's not an overnight thing that repentance is a lifestyle you are you're not gonna be okay yeah yeah you, you know what i mean progress it's, over perfection progress over perfection you're not gonna be perfect and you're not gonna once you repent you're not gonna be um completely perfect it's yeah. gonna be something that it, it's an it's everyday thing constantly having yeah. to turn away because again like sheep do when the sheep gets led astray, is that the only time you're going to have to deal with that sheep turning away? No. no. Right? That sheep is going to be like, get distracted every right. single time. It's like, oh, he corrected me. And then you keep going, yeah. got distracted again, and then you veer off again. Um, and it's sort of the same thing. So um, repentance, turning away from that, is, it, is it's a constant thing that you're going to have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to have to be turning away from things. And then now, once you've turned away from that thing, something yeah. else is going to come up. Right, I'm gonna have to turn away from that, and it's a, it's a it's a cycle, and um, but again, God suffers along with that, and He's right. willing at the end if it's gonna lead you in the the right direction, He'll get through it with you, and um, I love how like how you had said that Jesus meets us halfway, like in the end times, He's gonna meet yeah. us halfway in that sky, but the first thing that Jesus did was He didn't meet us halfway, but He came all the way to us so that He could help bring us back right Right. when jesus first came he didn't meet us halfway he came the entire way right grabbed us and said you're coming with me yeah um which i love but yeah uh it's it's a thing that we always do it's a thing we're always gonna need it's gonna be practice it's gonna be hard you're gonna fall but just keep going yeah i think the best way to that i would put it is repentance is a change in mind that leads to a change in actions yeah because think about it we just covered the two bases of what repentance is in the old and new testament change in direction change in thinking um a woman is a very sensitive topic so i I don't say this lightly but if a woman is being abused by her husband and her husband says i'm sorry and brings her flowers those flowers don't mean anything she wants you to not abuse her she doesn't want to be abused. She wants. She doesn't want flowers. She wants you to change and be a better person, right? And so flowers are not going to cover that up. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We cannot say, okay, well, I'll, I'm sorry. I will, I, I, like God, forgive me. Repentance is not asking for forgiveness. Repentance is a change in mind that leads to a change in actions. Because think about it. Um, a man that cheats on his wife and he says, I'm sorry, I'll stop. Okay, that wasn't the root of the issue. The root of the issue is that you're full of lust and you keep looking for other women. Mm-hmm. And God doesn't want to stop you from cheating. He wants to stop you from looking. And he wants to change the intention of your heart because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, mm-hmm. right? So Jesus is trying to get at the root here. So what repentance really is, is I need to change the heart because if I change the heart, the actions change. I don't want to change the actions. Because if I change the actions and we stop doing that particular sin, it's still rooted in your heart and it's only a matter of time before it comes out again. You would never forgive someone knowing that they would do it again, right? That's just pointless. Like, why am I going to forgive you? You're just going to do it again. So repentance is sort of, it's that turning away and that change in Mm -hmm. sort of behavior. And I'm not saying like behavior is like behavior is what leads to salvation you just have to change the way that you act but that doesn't happen yet. yeah it but can't. it can't but um behavior that change and because first again it starts in your mind and right. the way that you think is going to affect the way that you act so you need to change the way that you think first right because right. god again god knows all things god please forgive me no you're just going to do it again tomorrow right you haven't actually changed mm-hmm. you just want forgiveness for today so that you yeah. can do it again and then ask for it again 
Right. Right. So it, it is a change when God sees that longing to right. actually change. Mm-hmm. He's like, I know that you can mean it. I can see it in your heart. We already know. We've read the scriptures that he knows the intentions yeah. of each individual person. So when he sees that genuine intention and willingness mm-hmm. to change, he grants it. Which is why the Bible says a humble heart I will not despise. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's what the Bible teaches. So what it is, is how can I be changed? Um, humble yourself and admit that you're wrong. Humble yourself and say, hey, I actually need genuine transformation. And then Romans 12, 2 becomes very real for you, where you are no longer going to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. This is your spiritual act of worship, right? Um, this is what it is. You are a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I like what Pastor Allen says, and I think he got it from another pastor. I'm not sure. I don't know if he made this up or somebody else did, but it was the problem with a living sacrifice is that it's always trying to get off the altar. Dead sacrifices stay on the altar, but a living sacrifice is always kicking and trying to get off. And that's what we are. We're called as living sacrifices and we're not going to want to make these sacrifices in our lives, but we have to. So repentance is vital to, um, the the message of of jesus it was the message of john the baptist who preached in the wilderness preparing the way he said repent and turn jesus preached repent and turn jesus sends out the 12 in matthew chapter 10 verse 5 um through 8 he says that to go uh to he says go out uh go rather to the lost sheep of the house of israel proclaim as you go saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand heal the sick raise the dead cleanse lepers and cast out demons and and um it's he says you received without paying so give without paying so here he's telling them go out and proclaim the kingdom and what is that kingdom of heaven is at hand it's the message of repentance mm-hmm. um and so yeah so jesus uh, you know john preached it jesus preached it that's the message that needs to to be proclaimed and um it's not just the message of hey god loves you so much so much so much no god also wants you to see that you have been you have you are in and you need to you have rebelled against god but god wants to be reconciled but there needs to be a humble heart and a turning back to god thanks for tuning into our podcast we appreciate you taking time out to listen to the word of god take a second and give this podcast a like and share it with friends and family this greatly helps out our channel and affects our reach in our communities Please look us up at Viva Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook.